But there's three audiences. We have the audience of God here. Um, we have the audience of the world. The scriptures say that we, many will see and hear and fear and put their trust in him when they hear our worship. Um, and we have the audience of one another, which is why you guys are facing each other partway down here, to remind us that we sing to each other and we interact with each other as we gather. And we, we sing the story of the gospel to each other, um, but we can also sing the gospel story by telling our stories, speaking them. And uh, a chance to hear this, each of our stories um, is a reminder of the good news of the gospel and how it works and get to see it um, in somebody else's life. And so uh, this morning, we are going to actually start our time of gathering around the table um, by hearing one of those stories. So I'm going to have uh, Mark and Pauline O'Hagan come on up, and they're going to um, share a bit of their story with us. Come on out, you guys. And actually, uh, Pauline is bringing a rock. Uh, we haven't done this for a bit, but if you're new here, we actually, when we share a story that God's done something, we usually bring a rock, remember? Um, we used to gather them up around the cross. Now they're all gathered around the fountain outside. So, Pauline, come on up and tell us about your rock. Here you go. You want to introduce us? Uh, I'm Mark O'Hagan. This is my wife, Pauline. And uh, we want to uh, let you in on a, a little... It, it's, a, it's, it's a bit of a secret. Not everybody knows, but it's, it's something that the Lord has done. Uh, so she's got some uh, preliminary words here. I'm Pauline, and I just wanted to share the story of the healing of Mark, Mark hepatitis C virus. It has been healed through. It is a miracle, and I just wanted to share that. But, um, <laughs> yeah. But at the beginning of this journey... God gave us the blessing of me getting employment at a local hospital here, and um, that enabled us to get the um, medical treatment that Mark needed for his condition. And so um, I consider that a blessing, a, um, a sharp blessing, because uh, working at, Saint, well, at the hospital <laughs> was uh, something very different and also very hard for me to do. But I, I brought this rock, and it has sharp edges, and to me, it, re- it represents the shaping of myself because you need the sharp edges as it shapes you to do what God wants you to do in his life. And uh, I really hang- hung on to those. I mean, I hung on to that as um, I continued to work there. But um, it was, um, but I really am uh, willing to do what God's will, what his will is for my, my life so I continue to listen to what he has to say to me. And I really relied on his words as we went through what Mark went through. And um, what I see is Mark, he was always reaching out to everybody who was, he came in contact through him as he continued the treatments. And he was always sharing his love of God for him. And, and, and that to me, that was amazing. And he has a lot of courage to do that. So I was so glad to see that. But um, I just wanted to thank you for all your prayers and your support through this hospital. I mean, not hospital, excuse me, through this church. And um, it has really, really made us stronger in him um, just um, keeping the faith with him. But I just wanted to end with my favorite verse that really touched my heart and through all this. And it's a James 1, verses 2 to 4. Consider the pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking in anything but thank you then but mark will tell you more about what he went through
Um, well, thankfully, I had her to go through with it. Uh, with uh, um, it, it, uh, it started a long time when we were uh, uh, we were first. Um, um, married we realized after about five years of marriage that uh, our life was uh, we had a like a, a four or five year old child and we were just kind of going along and it, it, i realized that we needed to have some kind of spiritual foothold and we we're both raised catholic so we decided to start going back to the catholic church and uh that was uh it, it was definitely a uh, from what we remembered, uh, and I guess what we needed as children was what is different than we needed as an adults. So uh, it, it was it was it was nothing like this. It was uh, uh, it was uh, people uh, were gone long before any fellowship could begin, and uh, we got a lot of uh, advice and things that uh, just didn't seem to be biblically based and. So uh, some friends of ours over the years had uh, told us about this place. Some, uh, one guy had lived over here and another, um, Mr. Jordahl, Rolf Jordahl, he, he went here for a while. He mentioned the place. And we finally decided to start coming here and uh, just couldn't believe the, um, the Bible study, the, the sermons, the child care. You know, you ever sit in a pew in a Catholic church with uh, kids on your, you know, we had four. And uh, it, was, it, was, it, was quite a, it was quite a journey. But uh, about the same time we started coming here, I decided to stop uh, the, the lifestyle that I'd carried in from my youth, you know, the drinking, the drugging, and things like that. So uh, that, uh, when, when, when you make a decision to change your life for the better, <clears throat> it, uh, it brings out God's strength in you, and, it brings, and, you, and you realize God's presence. This will go away. But you also realize that Satan... Satan ups his thing, too. He doesn't want to lose you. So uh, I found uh, my, the guys that supplied my drugs, you know, on a daily basis were, uh, you know what, Mark? All of a sudden, they're like, free, man. You know, don't worry about it. You've been a good customer. We're going to let you do this. And here, just take this, take this. And it became very easy to stay a drug user and a, and a drinker and things like that. And all my friends were drinkers and druggers. So uh, those first couple of years here were, were, were tough. But it finally came down to me trying it my way, uh, surrendering to God uh, what uh, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to accomplish, and then him taking over. And uh, he did a, you don't realize it by looking at this, but what this was was different than was back then. So. And so he did, he did a great work. So, uh, uh, but there's, there's, there's prices you have to pay, and one of them was I picked up Pep C during that time, and so in I didn't know it, though, uh, and so I quit drinking. That's the first miraculous thing that happened, not knowing that I had Tep C, because if I would have continued in that, I, I, I wouldn't be here now. And so uh, after that stopped in 98, uh, uh, my 12-hour my, uh, days were starting to get a little long for me. I said, something's got to be wrong, you know. It's, it's, I love working, and I, would, I enjoyed it, and I liked having the energy to do it, but I couldn't do it anymore. And I went in, and they found out I had the Hep C, and it was the genome one, which is the one that seems to be the most virulent, uh, strongest one. And and I was an excellent host. I mean, I kept myself uh, fairly healthy. I eat a lot, I work a lot, I get a lot of fresh air. So uh, uh, then, uh, so I started the treatments, the interferon and things like that. And I tried to work through most of that uh, treatments. I went through three treatments uh, uh, in 2000. 2003, and then most recently in 2010, and they used the new drug uh, that uh, had come out. That's what we did. The doctor would we try a 
the new drugs as they came out. They'd come out every three, four, five years. And uh, this last time, it was, uh, there was a lot of hope. Uh, the, uh, the virus was subsiding. And then in, uh, I guess, about the middle of 2011, um, I ended the treatment. And uh, the, the next thing you do is just hope and pray that it, it uh, maintains. And uh, the virus came back. So 2011, by the end of 2011, it was back, and, and it was starting to grow. And, and then in uh, uh, December of last year, uh, a new drug had come out, and they decided to put me on it. And before they do that, they want to run you through a whole battery of tests, find out where you're at, because there's a lot of uh, adverse effects, of course, with uh, some of these immune system things. And uh, it, it, uh, uh, they found that there was no virus in me, and I got this crazy call from our, my hep C nurse, and she said, Mark, you got to come back in and get another test. I said, why? She said, it's, we can't find it, and you know, it's undetectable. I said, sure, I'll go right back in. And I said, has this ever happened before? She says, no, we've never had this happen before, because it had been, I guess it had been almost two years since I had had any treatment at all, and uh, the last time we checked, the virus had returned, and it was, it was starting to climb up. So uh, somehow last night, someone got the impression that I had done another therapy with the new drug that they have now, and that that had cured it, and that wasn't it. I had, <clears throat> it was before I even started on that drug that they found the, the virus absolutely gone. I just went in last week. It's still gone. Uh, they checked it in January, March, and things like that. So, uh, <clears throat> yeah. So there is no uh, medical explanation. I asked my doctor. He just happens to be a believer. And uh, he said the power of prayer is uh, something that we don't really know that much about, and uh, he could not explain it. So uh, I am, I am uh, over the years, you know, many of you have, have heard about it and prayed. I've had my uh, hands laid on me here on several occasions, and I actually asked my uh, doctor if he would give me an extra viral load test to see if the actual laying on of the hands actually changed something, you know. I, I, thought, I, I thought that might, that might be. And so, uh, and cause people would say, well, let me know how you're doing. And, and I had it tested, and it, it a sweet letter back. He says, Mark, it's all the same. Uh, sorry. And, uh, uh, but uh, so I, I know this isn't, this isn't from an earthly medicine. I know it's not from, a, it, it's from prayers. It's from the Lord wanting me around for her for a while more, so I'll be there. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you a lot. We're remembering the gospel. In Mark, it said last night, he was just sitting right over here somewhere when God changed his life and transformed him, and he continues to do a work. As the gospel um, comes in, and the healing is great, but the work in hearts that he does all the time, all the time, over and over and over again. And we, we gather, as we've been looking at the series, around one, one table, and, and we have one voice, um, and, and come as one family together to hear over and over again, week by week, the, this life-changing story of the gospel that changes us, but then keeps working in our life week by week by week by week. Um, Cameron, you guys can start working your way back up here uh, for our time of worship. Um, I was reading recently that the uh, writer was comparing our gathered worship times as to whether it's a concert hall or a banquet hall. And a concert hall is where you come and you receive something. Um, a banquet hall is where you go and you participate in something. And um, 
this is a banquet hall every week. It's supposed to be that way. And um, maybe think of it like when we're outside with our barbecue time, we're underneath the canopy and the kids are running around and we're talking about things and we're singing and enjoying each other. That's, that's the picture of the gathering that God desires for us to have because we come as, as participants, not observers, um, together. And this, the table that we're going to be focused on this morning is, is a picture of all that. Um, so there are several stories in the scriptures about Jesus with bread, and they, they, they invariably lay out the gospel for us um, as we have these tangible reminders. And one of the stories we all know is Jesus is on a, on a hill, and he's teaching, and the people are growing hungry. Jesus is probably hungry as well, and they, they need to eat. And so a little boy's got some stuff in his hands, and Jesus takes this very simple bread, and he does this absolutely incredible miracle. And they feed over 5,000 people. As a matter of fact, that's just the men. It's probably closer to 10 by the time you add all the women and children. And they had leftover abundance overflowed from the basket, and it's this great story of Jesus taking bread, and he multiplies it. And the response of the people is they wanted to declare him the king because they saw this is what a king does. And there's a recognition of his holiness and his greatness, and didn't really get it, but we know the, the creator of everything, the Holy One of God, was standing on a hill who can do anything he wants. And he produced this miracle that identifies himself as a holy, great God who had come into our midst. So, Lord, this morning as we gather, we begin right there. We begin, um, even hearing Mark's story, it just grabs a hold of us again, both for salvation and for your ongoing work, that we celebrate and worship um, a great and a holy and a mighty God. And so we just raise our voices to you in Jesus' name. The great news of the gospel is um, God, who's holy, absolutely holy, um, comes incarnate into our midst. Um, the, one, the one who can move across the face of the water and, and sing existence into being um, took on flesh and came among us. And the second story is Jesus out in a desert, God himself in a desert, and he's starving to death, um, 40 days of not eating, and completely brought to the very brink of our human frailty, to the point where the flesh begins to decay because he's so hungry, and knew the, the full measure of God himself, of what it meant to be needy, of what it meant to be dependent. And in that moment in the temptation where he could have made bread, because he can make all the bread he wants, he doesn't make any bread. He doesn't make any. And he stays in a place of hunger and stays in a place of dependence. Scriptures say, man shall not live by bread alone. The lesson there Jesus wanted us to get is, is it would be better to starve and be dependent than to be independent and run out far away and not know our need and have all the feasts in the world. And Jesus goes before it, and he does it in our midst, which to us says we can come needy and dependent and weak and frail because he knows what that was like, and he invites us into that place. Um, Isaiah chapter 40 says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog. He set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. 
Um, so as we sing these couple songs and we think about our neediness, our dependence, um, our frailty, our failings, um, we get, just go there. Just take those places, just take it to him. Because he knows and he welcomes it. He says, wherever you're at in that, just go there. If your feet are stuck in a bog, that's okay. Come to me with your feet stuck in a bog. I, um, yesterday morning, um, a lot of you know Eddie. He's got the mohawk. He comes Sunday morning. Now then he usually comes Saturday evening. Um, yesterday morning was the fifth time I'd seen Eddie this week. And he kind of, he gets volatile now and then. And he, that happened. Um, and I just lost my patience yesterday. I just lost it. And I was just so tired. And, um, you know, I can come and we're needy, dependent, frail, and weak, and failing people. And guess what? The gospel says come. Come just like that, and I will pick you up, and I will raise you up, and I will lift you up, and set your feet to go forward. Thank you that you, in all of your holiness, you walk with us, and all the time you're lifting us up, all the time. Give us eyes to see it, and, and voices that declare thanks for it, in Jesus' name, amen. Our third story um, of Jesus and bread is this story, um, the one we know, uh, story in a room. Um, perhaps the, the defining story of the gospel, and actually I think it is, it defines our very identity as a church, which is why we have it out every week. Um, it's not supposed to be, oh, there's that stuff again. It's supposed to actually pull us towards looking at it because it defines who we are, it tells us who we are and what we're about and what God calls us to over and over and over again. We've talked about the fact that the, uh, our gospel-shaped service works the gospel into our lives. This is a picture of it. It's the, the, if, you, if you like picture books, this is it. Um, it defines that and shows us that over and over and over again. Um, they're in the upper room as they gather before Jesus gives his life, and Jesus takes the Passover which went way, way back, and he gives us its ultimate meaning. What it was all about in the first place, Jesus demonstrates it and shows what it was pointing to. It was pointing to him and what he was going to do. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Um, In a desert, he doesn't make bread. On a hilltop, he multiplies it. Um, And in an upper room, he offers it because he's the bread of life, and he offers it to us, offers himself. He gives redemption and life and all the truths of who he is and what he came to do and what he's doing and what he will do is all right here, all pictured in this gathering around the table. It's a meal with a purpose. And by the way, the purpose is the same one that we looked at as our answer to the question. When we take it each time, whether you walk up here um, on other weeks or whether we pass it around like we will this morning, um, we express to him the wonder of who he is. We just say thank you. We say thank you again and again. And we also, it forms us because we're, we're in a very practical way remembering the fullness of the gospel, all that it is. And every time we take it over and over again, it's supposed to shape us and form us as gospel-informed people. Interesting, in Genesis chapter 1, one of the very first things God says to Adam and Eve is he says, eat, eat freely. And you go all the way to the end of the Bible and go to Gen- uh, Revelation 22, and the last things Jesus says, he says, drink freely 
of this fountain of life. Interesting, the bookends of the scriptures are eating and drinking freely. Just I was thinking about Kobe's picture of the disciples walking through the fields and running their hands through the, it and picking it and enjoying it. And that's bookended, and in the middle of it, we have this table, um, which brings it all together. A key picture of God's restorative work. Even we have the marriage supper in Revelation, which is this picture of, of fellowship and feasting with the creator God who has made us his own. Um, and people gather together doing that. Um, so in the upper room and now in front of us here every single week, we have a table with the simple, simple symbols of redemption, restoration, and life and goodness. Um, the gospel, it's all here. So a few just very, very brief reminders of what's here. Um, there's more than I'll say here, and I'm going to be pretty brief, but there's a lot here for us to see. And so some brief reminders. You can turn to Luke 22 and just read this familiar passage and then just kind of outline uh, a few things that stand out that we ought to maybe be brought back to every single time we pick up the bread and the cup. Luke chapter 22, beginning with verse 14, they're in the upper room. When the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. Verse 15, he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So Jesus took a cup and we had given thanks. He said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. He took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. A couple of different things. Number one, first of all, I think the most obvious one, it's a table of redemption. It's a table that pictures our redemption. Um, every single week when I look at it, I think about the, the day my life changed. Mark can think back to the day when he was sitting here and God changed his life. Um, or whether that was a process, whatever it is, we remember the redemption that he brought. It says here that it was the Passover. That was the, the celebration of God's his, his blood being applied to the nation of Israel and God passing over them. Um, and so Jesus, as the Passover lamb, the one lamb that's given for all time, and his blood applied to us so he can pass us over as well. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So every time we look at this, we think of the bread Jesus spilling his blood for us, and it is a table of redemption. And if you wonder each week, you know, am I okay, am I okay? This tells you you were always okay in him because he's already redeemed you. He's changed you. He's made you his own. And reminds us of the day that the cross intersected our paths. And we all have stories about that. I was thinking it would be kind of neat someday just to gather around the table and we'll just start telling our, just everybody, just tell stories. All we're going to do for the whole morning, just tell the story of when the cross touched your path. It's the table of redemption. Second of all, it's a table of remembrance. Um, verse 19, it says, uh, they broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The, actually, the term for remembrance is actually do it as a memorial. And you set up like a more like the stones. We have a Pauline stone here. We look at it, we remember what God did in her, but it's also remembrance of God's promise to them, that he's caring for them. And so when we talk about remembering him, we remember what Jesus did, but it's also, um, it, it marks this new covenant. 
And when they made covenants in the Old Testament, God made them with his people, and it was a two-way covenant. God was a participant in that covenant as well. And so when we say do it in remembrance, we do it as a memorial to him. Um, it celebrates that God, it reminds me of what he's done for me, but it's a, it's, a, it's a reminder that God is still carrying out his covenant amongst us so that we won't forget that God keeps his covenant. And he made a new covenant in his blood, which is to purify us for all time and to make us brand new and make us his children, give us a new identity, and it's a reminder every week that he's going to keep his covenant. God keeps his covenants on and on and on and on. And this is here so we don't forget. A chance for us to remember that the covenant of grace, we get to live under it all the time. Third of all, it's a table of community. Verse 14, it says, He reclined at the table and the apostles with him, and he said, I earnestly desire to share this with you. Um, I've sat before when I've been alone and had communion by myself. It's good and it's precious and there's something about it. But ideally, it's meant to be shared. It's, it's a table that is shared in community. Jesus himself gathered those around him, even in the midst of what they didn't even know was about to happen, and gathered them with him as they shared with each other. Um, and they passed it, and they embraced it together. Um, that's why we, one of the reasons we face each other, to remind us here that we're, we're here to share in this together. Uh, we don't do it alone. Um, there's something about being together in it as we pass it from one to another. 1 Corinthians 10.17 says, Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Every single time, I love it, we got these loaves, and they're one loaf, and we pass it because we're one body, one in Christ, and we do it together. It reminds us of our unity together every single week that we do it. It's a table where Jesus is the host and the guests, and he calls it together, and we share it. We share in it, all of us together, all at the same place, the foot of the cross. Augustine says this, Remember, friends, how wine is made. Individual grapes hang together in a bunch, but the juice from them all is mingled to become a single brew. This is the image chosen by Christ our Lord to show how, at his own table, the mystery of our unity and peace is solemnly consecrated. So why do we gather because this is a shared table. This is something we share in with each other and this common experience that we've had with God. Next, it's a table of participation, a table of participation. Back in 1 Corinthians again, uh, 10, 16, it's interesting that the disciples are going around, they're all dipping in, they're all having a meal together, and they're, they're participating together. 1 Corinthians 10, 16 says, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not participation in the body of Christ? And the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ. When we eat and drink and take it inside, it's a reminder that we have been made participants in God's kingdom work. He joins us in it. Interesting, in John 6, he says really strong words. He says, if you don't eat my body and drink my blood, you have no part in me. Um, it's like, wow. But when we eat it and, and, and actually take it inside, the little piece that we, we get off, off there when we go around, um, it come, it's a picture that God's not just somewhere, but he has taken up residence in us. And as the scriptures say, that we in him as well. And we are participants in him and his life and who he is, and we're participants in his kingdom work that he calls us to. Um, and so we participate in it together. Each time it's a fresh declaration that we are his, that we belong to him, um, and that he is ours as well. 
Next of all, it's a table of neediness. We just talked about that last week. Man shall not live by bread alone. Um, it's, as a matter of fact, I think every time that we sit down at a dinner table, we should remember that, Lord, without this, I fade away um, pretty quick. Um, but I would fade away quicker without you. I need you more than this food. And every time we take it, it should be a reminder of our desperate need for him, our dependence on him, the one who actually experienced that himself. The, the ultimate um, act of being dependent and needy, being strung to a cross um, and offering himself up, it reminds us every time that we need him. And we can even pass it thinking, Lord, I need you. I need you more than this. I need you more than food itself. So it's a table of neediness. And lastly, it's a table that forms us, which takes us back to this series about why we gather. 1 Corinthians 11.26 says this, As often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So what does it do? It looks back to the day he gave his life. We proclaim his death. It looks ahead until he comes, that's down the road, and as he's doing his work, and it's present. We are taking it now as often as we do it. It's the whole picture from beginning to present to the future. And it all gets shaped up in here. And what is in this place? It's a reminder that we have a holy God. We're needy, dependent people who needed him desperately, that Jesus came and he, a table of redemption that saves us. Um, his life gave new life to us. And then they were sent out to do his work. And so it's a table that shapes and forms us. We, every single week, gather around this to remember and to rehearse that. All those things, we rehearse it over and over again. We rehearse it when we sing. We should rehearse it in the, the, the word. Remember we said that there are, the gospel is, 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 is spoken in their preaching. Um, we see the gospel in the structure of how we do our worship. But we see the gospel in a picture every single week. And as we remind, remember the gospel week by week by week, it changes us. It informs us with the gospel, and it sends us out um, saturated with that to bring it to the world. We partake week by week. We recall, we participate, and we relearn it all over again because we will forget by next weekend. And this reminds us again. Mike Cosper says this, sharing this meal in the presence of God and one another, we break a loaf that someone has baked, remembering together the cross, praying together. All these things affect us. The Lord's Supper changes us, not because it does something magical, but what it pictures, looking at it again and again, it's like reading the same book a million times, and you know it. You know the book. You know the words. And it's the same thing as we do this. It's important that we know it. It just saturates our life. The shared activity of partaking of one loaf forms us afresh as one body. It reinforces our identity as a community that is shaped by the cross. So just as the Passover um, was like the, the thing that gave Israel their identity, that was what formed their identity, this table forms our identity. It tells us everything we need to know about who we are and who the Lord is and what he's like and what he's calling us to. One person wrote this, the communion meal reorients life by relocating us in the story told by the word. Instead of being defined by the stories of our culture, we live as participants in God's story. So each time we eat and drink, um, we repicture the gospel all over again. 
And as a matter of fact, we recovenant with God to walk in that gospel. We're stripped of our idols of our weak. We gather as one body, all equal, at the cross in place of neediness. We remember who we are, and we remember to whom we belong, and then we're ready to go out again, which we do every single week as well. Leonard Sweet says this, On this table is served not a snack, not a smorgasbord where you take what you like and leave what you don't like. It's not fast food takeout. On that table is served a life course meal where we feast in our hearts with thanksgiving on the very bread of life and the cup of salvation, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus is not our meal ticket. Jesus is our manna and our manana. Where do we learn this? We learn it over and over and over and over again at the table. Deuteronomy 14.26, I love this this little section. It's about one of the feasts that Israel had, and I taught about this when we did our little food theology thing a while back. Um, There was a feast where they actually took their um, tithes from a year, which if they were faithful, that was a lot. And and God said, actually, take that and spend it and have a feast for your friends. That was what the feast was about. What a cool feast to to take a, a year's worth of wages and be able to spend it on your friends to celebrate. And this is what Deuteronomy 14.26 says this, Spend the money for whatever you desire, oxen or sheep or wine or drink, whatever your appetite craves, and you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice you and your household. We share a meal in the company of one another and in the presence of God, remembering all that it is. Because it shapes us. It changed us, and it continues to shape who we are as a people of God. The meal pictures the gospel that shapes and it transforms us. Cameron, if you guys could uh, work your way back up here again. Um, Let's just take a few minutes and uh, close our eyes. Um, The best response to the table is to give thanks. To give thanks. So let's just take a few minutes, and I'd encourage you to just stand where you are when you want to, but just let us uh, pray out prayers of thanksgiving for this table, thanksgiving for the bread, thanksgiving for the cup and all that they present. So prayers of thanksgiving. They're back out on the water again, fishing, and um, they're not getting any fish. And the man on the shore says, throw the net over there. And they do, and it's filled up with fish. Um, There's a holy God on the beach. It's Jesus. And um, they jump in, and he swims to shore. And on the beach, there's a fire, and there's fish cooking, and there's there's bread. And he says, come. Come and eat. I want to live there all the time in that place, all the time. And then he tells Peter, he says, I've got something for you to do. I want you to go shepherd my sheep. He sends them out. He sends them out because there's something to do, and they're ready and prepared to do it. And God's going to do something. And they go out, and guess what happens? The whole world, and we included, have been changed because of that. And that's his ministry and desire for us, even as we um, go off from this place. There's a song that goes like this. Go to the highways and hedges. Go to the farthest fields. Go and compel the sick and the well, for our Father's house will be filled. 
Go to the streets of the city, bring in the crippled and the blind. All who would taste the banquet of grace must come and waste no more. As we feast at his banquet, he desires to bring others in and just fill that banquet hall with his people. And we're called to send out and going to do that. We'll do something a little different while we're singing. I know it's not going to get around here this morning, but I thought, you know, as we go out, we should be thinking about what's going on. Um, there was a, a ministry yesterday, a bunch of you were participating with the, the refugee ministry yesterday and heard good testimonies about that last night. Um, coming up uh, in just a little while, November 2nd, I believe it is, the Sunday, um, is Cyclovia, a Tucson event, and they ride bikes and walk all around here in the neighborhood. Um, Dave Goffney, who's planning a church here in this part of town and prays with uh, the other pastors once a month, and many of you know him, they purchased a house over on University Boulevard in 6th just to make a difference in that community. And um, working with Colby and, and Mike, they've uh, officially adopted that street corner for Cyclovia, um, a chance to take care of safety stuff, pass out water, maybe some music, a chance to um, penetrate our community in a way that makes a difference. So Mike's going to there are clipboards here, as usual, and if you don't get it, get it later. Two ways you can participate. As we think about going out, on the 18th of this month, we need to clean up that corner and help Dave, and uh, we also need some carpenters who can help um, make work on the, the porch. they got this great porch, and uh, it needs some work. And so um, on the 18th, you could participate. And then on the 2nd, it's a Sunday. Um, it goes from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. You could walk out of church here. You could walk down there. Um, and there are all sorts of things to do. So if you put your name and email on that clipboard, uh, even as we're singing, um, Mike will contact you and give you something to do, and, and we will make a difference um, in our community. Lord, I um, receive our song. Work in our hearts. Do a work in our, our world as you've done a work in us. Um, and so we offer up this song as a prayer to you.